Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is, is Don Earhart. I'm one of the pastors here and really excited to be, to be with you this morning. Before we get started, there are just a couple things I want um, to talk about. First of all, we have a group of junior hires up in Wisconsin at a summer camp. Uh, they've been there since Thursday morning. Well, they left Thursday morning in the buses, and I just encourage you to be praying for them. They'll return home Tuesday night, and our, our camps have been life-changing life-changing. What God does through our camps here is so unique, and um, we pour a lot of effort into that, and, and so just be praying for them this week. That's one thing. Um, the other thing, I wanted just to update you on the, the senior pastor search committee. They are working their buns off. Can I say that? <laughs> they, they, are, uh, they are working really hard. They're meeting regularly. They're taking applications in. They're, they're talking to different people, and, and uh, I know that here in a few weeks, uh, they're, they're going to have an update for you, but I wanted just to let you know that they, they are hitting it hard. And then finally, I, I wanted just to let you know also that John Richardson and I, who are, are kind of in the reins right now of the church, are, we are working so hard with the elders to, uh, to do two things. The two things we're focusing on. One is we are trying to help Sunday mornings, and not just what happens in here, but everything that happens here on Sunday mornings to be life-giving. And I appreciate the worship team that was, that was fantastic this morning, and Marsha, what you shared. And, uh, and so we, we are thinking about everything that's happening. How can we make Sunday morning life-giving? And the other piece that we're working on is, is how can we enhance and develop and, and um, grow our community? How can we be a group of community here as a big group, but then within our mid-sized groups and small groups that effectively loves each other and encourages each other and comes along beside each other and has each other's backs. And those are the two things that we're, in the interim, really working hard to, to uh, push us forward and, and move forward. And I really would appreciate your prayers. It's been a crazy ride already, and, and, um, but I, I just appreciate your prayers. This morning, we're going to, to uh, continue our journey through the book of Mark, and we'll be in chapter 2, verses, starting in verse 18 and going through verse 22. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I mentioned uh, the YouVersion Bible app and, and encourage you to download it. And this morning, I actually want to take you there just for a second and show you a couple things um, because actually my notes, my outline from this morning, the scripture that I'm going to use is all going to be on there. So if you have the, the YouVersion Bible app, the logo looks like that if you haven't downloaded it. But if you do, if you just pull out your smartphones and, and, and open that up, and I will join you doing that. <clears throat> Down on the bottom right of your screen, there are a bunch of, of uh, dots, three dots, and it says more. If you see that, if you'll click into that, then it takes you to a next screen. And this, the uh, third line down says events. If you click in events, it will pull up a map, and then it will load our live service. And um, mine is trying to load. And when you get to that, to when it pulls up First Free Church, there it is on mine, and you click into that, you will have all of our notes for this morning, um, my outline, you, all the announcements that were given. You could even, if you wanted to, you could even donate online through this app. So it's a pretty powerful tool, and uh, I know for some of you that, that's not your thing, but for a lot of us, it, it's helpful. So I uh, just wanted to, to bring that up. Well, let me get started. Uh, God chose a time in history. God chose the time when he brought Jesus to earth. And this time would be the mark of a new beginning. No matter whether people liked it or not, 
History would never be the same from then on. God's decision to send his son to send Jesus to earth would begin this process of God's personal intervention of the humans he's created, of us. God reaching down from heaven to earth to save us through Jesus. And Mark gives us a glimpse of what it was like to be with Jesus for those three years. Those three years culminated with Jesus' death and then his resurrection, and it launched us into a new era in history, the beginning of God's kingdom being manifest here on earth. But here's the kicker. This, this is fascinating and sad and um, amazing to me. Most people didn't recognize that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, had even come to earth. Even those around him didn't recognize what was happening. This monumental moment in history was happening, but it wasn't recognized by most people. So I'm calling this morning's message, It's a New Day. It's a New Day. Life will never be the same. It's a new day. Life will never be the same. For myself, in uh, January 1986, I was a student at Purdue University, and I met this young lady named Ann McMillan. And, uh, and I thought she was pretty sweet. So I asked her out. I asked her if she would go out with me. And I, what I didn't know at the time is that that Day when we met and that ask actually would be the beginning of a new era in my life too. Uh, I stand now before you after 29 years of marriage, three kids, Katie, Ellie, and Payne. Uh, they wouldn't be here today without that first date that led to us building a relationship which led to a time of being engaged, which led to us getting married. I had no idea that Anne's strengths would complement my weaknesses and my strengths would complement her weaknesses. I've got a picture of us, I think, I think it was the one before this, of how beautiful we looked in the early days. <laughs> and my, my wife, Anne, is in South Korea with her daughter right now, so I can put this kind of stuff up. And, and, uh, and sh- too bad, Anne, if you listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, and then the next picture is a picture of our family. Just uh, I think that was last summer. I had no idea that... that all this, that when we got married that, and asked God to begin to use us in our lives, uh, I had no idea that on that day when I asked her to go out, that this all would culminate in a change in, in my life, in the history for us. I just asked her out because I thought she was pretty and, and she seemed like a sweet girl. Speaking of that early date, you'll find this comical. I, I found a journal entry that I actually pinned the day that I asked her out, and just recognize that this is a college-age brain, okay? (laughs) Here we go. Here's what I wrote. I am in turmoil about a girl that I have never dated. Anne McMillan has seemed to capture my heart, although I haven't let her know that. God, give me peace and guidance. I know that her old boyfriend has touched bases with her. However, she is going to the Winter Whispers dance with me. That's it. That's all I wrote. College brain. There you go. I know it's cheesy, but it was the beginning of a new era for me. It was a new day, and life, life would never be the, be the same. 
Well, when we think about our history, it's often like that, isn't it? One decision or one circumstance changes everything. It changes the course of our lives. Think, think of several examples. For example, um, what happened on September 11, 2001, where terrorists hijacked planes and flew them into buildings. Those decisions that they made have changed all of our lives, even though many of us, uh, especially our young people, don't even have a recollection of that day. Just go to the airport and try to get on a plane or go, go to the place where the Twin Towers stand, and you'll see that, that our lives are very, very different. But at the time, many of us never imagined the effect that horrific day would have on the future of our country and that it would alter the history of the world as we know it. But it did, didn't it? We didn't even recognize it, but life would forever be different. In your own life, you've had things happen that altered your trajectory too. It might be a tragedy that ended in the death of a loved one and you felt like a piece of your life has been missing ever since. Or maybe someone bullied you or did something hurtful to you years ago. And the effects of those actions or words still have a profound influence on who you are today. Maybe you made some poor relationship decisions when you were younger and the consequences of those decisions have resulted in a change in your life story. For those of us who are, who are high school or younger students, what you do in your teen years will affect the rest of what your life will look like. Your decisions today will ultimately determine your future options. And even think about who your best friends are today. Who are your best friends? Ultimately, those relationships started, those relationships started And you had no idea that they would turn into, over time, your best friends. Well, we all could point back to things that have happened to us that have changed our destiny and have brought us us to where we are today. However, these moments in history usually catch us by surprise. And we don't recognize their significance until later. When we look backwards and we wonder, how, how in the world did we get here? One decision, whether it was someone else's or whether it was ours, will change our life. And that one decision affects history not only for you, but for those around you and for those who follow behind you. It's a new day. Life will never be the same. And I think that's why Mark penned this book, the Gospel of Mark, which we're going through. Mark spent his life making sure that people knew the good news of Jesus. And ultimately, it cost his life as a martyr. Someday, if we have have time in the middle of this, I'd love to tell you some of the things, the interesting facts about Mark and his life. He knew that life would never be the same after Jesus came, and he was willing to lay down his life to make sure everyone knew it. There was no turning back. Do you remember Mark's opening line in this, in this book? If we go back, I don't know, seven weeks or so, his opening line was, and this is my paraphrase, it's the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It's a new day, and life will never be the same. God's kingdom was now at hand, which means you could argue that God's kingdom wasn't at hand before this. I mean, hold out your hand in front of your face. God's kingdom is that close. And from that first verse, Mark walked us through a series of events, which we've gone through for the last weeks. He walked us through John the Baptist's preparation. He walked us through Jesus' baptism, through Jesus' temptation, through Jesus' preaching in Galilee, proclaiming that God had sent Good news to people. He, uh, he taught us to repent and to believe the good news. 
that Jesus had taught the people. And then we learned of Jesus calling his first four disciples, Jesus teaching with great authority, which led to evil spirits being cast out of people, people being healed of their infirmities. We saw Jesus' priority for spending time in prayer with his father. We saw a leper touched and healed. We saw a group of committed friends persistently bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And then last week, we learned of Matthew, the tax collector's call from Jesus to become one of his disciples, which brings us to where we're at this morning in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 18. And this text this morning is in the middle of a, of a ramp up of intensification of conflict that's beginning to happen with Jesus. It's beginning to happen. This, the last couple weeks stories, the conflict was, was nonverbal, and last week it was more verbal, and now it's starting to, to, to intensify. And the people and the leaders, the religious leaders, are starting to push against Jesus. And so let's look at the verbal confrontation this morning, and I'll start by reading in, uh, in verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? So John the Baptist is still in ministry. He's still got a group of disciples. And of course, the Pharisees have their disciples. And, and those two groups were in the middle of a fast. Now, if you don't understand what a fast is, a fast is, is basically a way of denying yourself food, in this case, as an expression of worship. And in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, in the law, there was only one place where a fast was mandated for the children of Israel, for God's people. You can find it in Leviticus chapter 16 if you're interested. It's, it was the annual day of atonement and where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sacrifice for the sins of the people and they would release a goat outside and there were all sorts of things that happened. But that was the day that was mandated the fast for the people of Israel. But the Pharisees had decided that there needed to be some more. And so they added fasting on Monday and Thursday, every week, as an expression of personal piety and consecration. And it was one of those added fasts that the people were requesting of Jesus, hey, why aren't you guys doing this? What's, what's up? Why aren't you doing what everybody else is doing? And the people were basically asking Jesus this, if you're so spiritual, why do you not make your followers live up to these religious standards that everybody else is living up to? But again, the fasts were not a mandated fast. They were an added tradition. But the people just didn't understand. They didn't get why Jesus and his disciples weren't participating in this. So Jesus walks them through a series of answers. And, uh, and so here it is, verse 19 and verse 20, as he starts out. Jesus answers, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast when he's with them? They can't, so as long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. So what, what in the world is Jesus saying here? Um, well, here's what I think he's saying. If I could reword it and, and add uh, kind of some broadening. I think he's saying, hey, I'm the bridegroom. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. This is the beginning of the good news. Open your eyes. It's time to celebrate. It's not time to fast. 
There will be a day when I'm taken from the disciples, and that will be a day of fasting. But today is not a day of fasting. The kingdom of God is at hand. Open your eyes to what God's doing. It's a new day. Life is never going to be the same. And they didn't get it. I like something that Tim Keller says in regards to to this. Here's what he says. Every other religion has a founder that says, I'll show you the way to God. But only Christianity of all the major world religions has a founder that says, I'm God, and I've come to find you. I'm God, I've come to find you. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus is is beginning to to push back against the traditions here. I don't know if you noticed it, but in verse 20, Jesus makes a veiled reference to his crucifixion. Here's what he says. uh, But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. And I think it's hard for us to understand what it must have been like back then. We, we know how the story continues on. We know what happens. But they didn't have the context of that. They're still trying to figure out what, what's going on here. And, and, um, and Jesus' reference was that there would be a time coming when he would be taken away from his disciples. And that, that would be a time of fasting, a time of praying, God, we want to be back with you. Jesus, we want you back. We want to be with you. And it was a loaded statement from Jesus. It was a prophetic word from the Son of God to his hearers. In a a normal wedding, in a normal wedding, the guests would eventually leave, don't they? And Jesus had thrown out, he had interjected a crazy thought. The thought was that the groom was going to be forcibly removed from the wedding celebration. And it would have been unthinkable. Jesus continues, verse 21 and 22. He continues with a couple parables, and he says, he says this. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour the new wine into new wineskins. I've hated these verses for years because I just didn't understand them. And uh, when, when John and I broke out the verses and I realized I had these, I'm like, oh, not that section. i got to explain that. It's just been confusing to me. So, but you know what? It's really not that complicated. Let me see if I can, if, if I can give some explanation. I want to start with a, a picture of a shirt and a patch, um, just, a, just a cartoon drawing. So um, if, you, if you wash a garment over and over and over, it shrinks, right? Even back in the Old Testament times, that was true. If you'd wash a garment, it would shrink. You'd wash it, it'd shrink. And over time, it, it shrunk as much as it's going to shrink. And so if you had a rip on that garment, and you would take a new patch that had never shrunk before, and you would sew it into that garment, and then you would continue to wash the garment then, the garment wouldn't shrink, but the patch would. And what would happen is the hole that the patch was set to, to cover actually ends up being worse in the end than the original hole. That's what Jesus is saying with the first parable parable. He says, he says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the, from the old, making it worse. And then he goes into this wineskin thing. And let me see if I can explain it. And then it's the next picture. So what they did back in the day, uh, they, they would skin goats like this, and then they would tie off the leg openings and the, the neck opening and the tail opening. Uh, and, and after they would, would stomp the grapes and, and sift the, the particles out of the grapes, they would take the juice and they would pour them into these goat skins. And over weeks and months, that grape juice would begin to ferment. And as it fermented, it would let off, let off carbon dioxide and it would stretch these skins. 
And I've got a picture of what the skins would look like when they're stretched. It's a thing of beauty, right? Carrie, it's your favorite picture. And so what happens is, is those skins would get stretched to their maximum. And, and Jesus is saying, you wouldn't take one of these stretched skins and start the whole process over, would you? That would be dumb. Because what would happen, Jesus says, is, is the wine would burst the skins. Both the wine and the wineskins would be ruined. No, you would take new wine and you would pour it into new wineskins. That, that's the basic principle Jesus was trying to get across. And so, so what was he going at? What was he pushing at? What were these parables trying to open up the people's eyes to? Here it is in a nutshell. Both parables are about the relation of Jesus to tra- traditional Judaism. Jesus is the new patch, and Jesus is the new wine. He can't be contained by pre-existing structures like the synagogue, the Torah, the scribes' t- traditions, including this fasting tradition that they had, had laid out before the people. The perfect question, and maybe a better way to say it, the good question isn't, why didn't Jesus' disciples fast? Here's, here's the real question, I think. Why didn't John's disciples and why didn't the Pharisees feast and celebrate in the presence of the Messiah who was in their midst? You see, Jesus was turning the tables on him. He was saying, it's time. It's a new day. Life will never be the same. Something strange was happening, and here it is. They didn't recognize the significance of Jesus. The new day, the good news from God, the Son of God was in their midst, and they were missing it. I want to take you to uh, the book of Hebrews, because I love the book of Hebrews as a Gentile, and I'm guessing most of us are Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Uh, I love the book of Hebrews because it helps me to understand some of, some of the um, Old Covenant pieces that, that I think we lose because we didn't grow up in that, in that culture. And it, it pulls the Old Covenant and the New Covenant together, and I want to read out of Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 6, because I think this little section will help us to understand what what Jesus is trying to say and what the writer of Hebrews years later captures for the people. So here it is. Verse 6, Hebrews chapter 8. But in fact, the ministry of Jesus, the ministry Jesus has received, is as superior to theirs as the covenant, and this would be the new covenant, of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one, the old covenant. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. Verse 7. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant or the old covenant, no place would have been sought for another or the new covenant. But God found fault with the people, and here's what God said. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the old covenant. I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they didn't remain faithful to my old covenant, declares the Lord. This is the new covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. And here it is. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And and listen to this, because this is out there. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. 
In last verse 13, by calling this covenant new, he's made the first covenant, the old covenant, obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. It is a new day. It is a new day. And the writer of Hebrews is quoting from prophet Jeremiah, out of Jeremiah 31. And this section of the book of Hebrews begins to contrast what it looks like to have religious activities that have to be repeated over and over and over versus the life-giving presence of God. For Jesus is with us always, even to the very ends of the earth. They will all know me is the promise from Hebrews of this new covenant. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. It is a new day. Well, you too... And I have a unique and historically significant opportunity to be in a relationship with the Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah. He was in their midst and they didn't recognize him. But you know what? We can struggle with the same challenge. Doing repetitious religious activities without really knowing God. One of the scariest and saddest things that I see year after year after year after year working with the young people in our church and the friends that they bring, is a lot of our young people know the game. They know the church game. They know, read your Bible, have a quiet time, go to church, go to this, go to that. And I see it over and over and over, but what I don't see that often is them having a relationship with their creator, with the Lord. And, and you know what? I don't think they're the only ones that struggle with this. I think this is something that we all, we all struggle with. Remember the things that Jesus eventually said? Let me throw out three. Here's one. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's another. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. And lastly, it's, it is good for you that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Church family, hear me. It is a new day. Life will never be the same. You have access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And if you've made Jesus your Lord and Savior, the one who has authority over you and over your life, and if Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit to live in you, even though it's so mysterious and amazingly wonderful, you have taken advantage of this opportunity to know the Son of God. And so the question is, have, have we taken the opportunity to move past religious activities into a relationship with our Creator? You see, that's what I think Jesus is trying to push to these guys. Here I am, the Messiah, the Son of God. Open your eyes. Don't miss this point. It's time to celebrate, team. Yes. He is in our midst. Jesus is alive. Well, Jesus said something that I quoted earlier, and see if you remember this line. This line. Um, It comes in verse 20. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, And on that day, they will fast. And the bridegroom was taken from them, wasn't he? The disciples did fast and mourn when he was gone. 
But their mourning was replaced with joy when he rose from the dead after being crucified, when he showed himself to them alive. But Jesus didn't stay with them. He was with them for 40 days, and after that time, he arose to heaven, where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where Jesus is right now. So how many of us long, how many of us long for his return? How many of us long for his return so much that we fast and pray for his return? And, and why would Jesus teach us to pray by asking for his kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven? For the process of his kingdom coming is not yet completed. It is a new day. It is a new day, and life will never be the same, but there is much, much more new left to come. We are living in God's new, and God continues to bring new. We have the new covenant, the new testament. We have new life for each of us, and eventually we will have a new heaven and a new earth where we will be face-to-face with our Creator. So today, I think a proper fasting and prayer would be this. Fasting and praying for Jesus to return and to make everything new so that God's dwelling place is completely with us, both spiritually and physically. That's what we should be longing for, for this surpasses anything we could ever hope or dream. This is what we long for with our families, our coworkers, our neighbors, our kids. This is what we dream of. There will be no greater day than the day that Jesus returns and his kingdom is completely ushered in. So, so I have a challenge for us this week. And I I really am asking you to take this seriously. I want you to fast something that you normally do. You can pick anything that you normally do this week. And I want you to take that time that you would normally do that thing and I want you to use that normal time to spend some time talking to Jesus. I want you to talk to him about his return and your desire to see him and to, re- to, to have him renew everything, that his kingdom would completely come here on earth as it is in heaven. And the scary thing for that is we have friends and relatives that don't know him, right? If he came back today, there are people we know who wouldn't be with him. And I didn't tell him that. Jesus, I lift up my kids and I lift up my neighbors and, and these people that I work with. Oh, my heart breaks, Lord. Open their hearts to you. Help them to see you, to fall in love with you. And to help you to make this time of fasting and prayer this week, we've printed out a reminder. It's in your handout. I think we have even a picture of it here. And here's here's all the instructions on the handout say. It says, give up some time this week to be alone with Jesus, a form of fasting and longing to be with him. And I've got a couple scriptures I'd want you to, to meditate on. John 15, 1 through 17, and John 16, 5 through 15. And And these verses will help you to understand the new covenant that Jesus brought to us and and how life-changing it is. It will help you to contrast what it's like to have empty religious activities versus the the life-giving presence of God. For Jesus is with us even to the ends of the earth. I encourage you, sit and talk to Jesus about this. Take time. And Jesus is waiting to meet with you. And here's one last thing. Let me know how it goes. I'd love to hear some stories because it's a new day, it is a new day, and life will never be the same. Lord, I thank you so much that you came and you, 
You died on the cross for us. Lord, I thank you that you didn't just do that so that we would live these religious activities, but we could actually be in your presence. And Lord, this week, I know for some of us this is nothing new, but for some others of us, God, we've never really pushed into a relationship with you, getting to know you, talking to you. And God, I ask that this week you would meet us and it would be awesome. Do that for us now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.